Let us turn afresh to John chapter 1. We've had the privilege in these Sundays to hear God's word expounded to us by Pastor Charles and Pastor John, and we've had these first 18 verses open to us. And this morning as we come to verses 15 through 18, here is this one who is the unknown God making himself known to us. Merry Christmas, yes. What a joy it is to be together. I think it's fascinating that Christmas seems to be the biggest, grandest holiday of them all. In one sense, it even has made its way into the secular calendar, and there are those who, yes, they even have made room in other faiths somehow or another to celebrate this amazing incarnation. We have the inventions, don't we, of, of uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We have the invention of Frosty the Snowman. We have the invention of, of uh, all these different things, you know, even Ebenezer Scrooge. Somehow or another, they want to celebrate this that's the holiday for all, in one sense, these inventions. But it's somewhat amazing to know that this very holiday is the one that announces to all the unknown God has made himself known. So when we come to this passage, John chapter 1, verse 15, we read, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me, he is before me, because he was literally my first, my protos. And then from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So let us bow in prayer and ask for God's blessing upon this, his word. We are amazed, O oh Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us. And what radiance to think in weakness the Lord Jesus Christ came that we would be made strong that he came down so that we would be lifted up that the great reality that he died so that we would live we pray O oh Lord as Pastor Charles has prayed that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to know you more and more for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is, without, without a doubt, I believe one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture. Because in a sense, it's God's commentary concerning his great revelation. As we read through this passage, here we have the one that's identified in John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And then it has that amazing statement where we heard preached to us last Lord's Day. The word was made sark, flesh. Shocking statement. He was made a man. And then we come through this passage that it's such an amazing passage with thoughts beyond our comprehension. Even those who have studied among us here with great minds, it's beyond all of our understanding, really. When I was 16, I remember this was the passage that I read almost every morning for three months when I was working up in Prescott Pines, that Baptist campground that the Lord used that so powerfully in my own life. I read these 18 verses every morning. And for a 16-year-old, it was really amazing to me that as I read this, I realized that it said that the one who is the Word was God. And then when it said he was made flesh, it was almost like that's what it's really saying, that one who is the creator of all things was made one of us. And that was so amazing to me that it was like the greatest thought I'd ever thought, and I still believe it's the greatest thought I can ever think. Wow. Amazing. Just to begin to comprehend the one through whom all things was made was made a man. So as we look at this passage together, this is a powerful moment if we can grasp the grandeur of the incarnation. I'm sure I didn't grasp it all then, and I don't grasp it all now. It's beyond, even with 60 years of looking at this passage after seeing it for the first time, really. It's still beyond our understanding just to think the one who made the galaxies, the one who, when we realize the size of all of creation, that he was made to be man. And so made flesh. And just to think through this as the grace of God that has come to us. I think it has grown in such a fearful and amazing thought to me that there is no good reason for him to have taken notice of any of us. No good reason for God to care about me, to care about us, to think there was, as we know now, we're just a little blue dot in part of the Milky Way, and yet that he would be made flesh. He doesn't love us because We're lovable. He loves us, as we know from Scripture, simply because he loves us, and that's why we love him. You remember, we love him because he first loved us. And this is the essence of Christianity. This is the essence of the gospel. This is the essence of what the incarnation is all about. It's very simple. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldest die for me? That's beyond 60 years of study. That's beyond thousands of years of study to comprehend the grander greatness and glory of that love for us. I came to know God from this very passage 
and I'm still knowing God from this very passage. It's amazing, that love. We read those words, astounded at the concept, no one has ever seen God, but the only begotten God, a shocking expression, who is at the Father's breast, he has made him known. He has, he has as we can say, exegeted the Father. He has declared who he is, forever true. Jesus has made him known. So this morning, briefly, I think it's important to be brief this morning, but simply, I have three brief questions. The first one is just little one-word syllables. If you read through John's 18 verses, most of the words all through there, even in English, are the simplest of words, and yet it's the deepest of thought. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Only one word is more than one syllable. You don't need words for giraffes. It's words for sheep that John writes. Simplicity. That first question is, who is God? And when you look at this, it's such a deep question. When we read this passage of scripture, we find something here that echoes all the way back to, in the beginning was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this very passage of John says, without him was not anything made that was made. It's speaking of one who is God. And so when we look at this, there's something here. He is the one who is the creator of all things. Without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. So when we begin to look at who is God from this passage we look and see something of the wholeness of what God has revealed to us. The whole emphasis of the Hebrew scriptures was that God is one. All that of what we would call idolatry of the many gods of all the different religions surrounding us. God is one. We read that great expression that our Jewish friends have Hear, O Israel, the Lord Yahweh, the Lord our God, the Lord Yahweh is one. Yet, when you read through this passage with carefulness, it says the word was God. It says the word who is God was with the Father in the beginning. There's something here that's for our minds incomprehensible. It's not here saying God is the word. He's something much more than that. In fact, if you read through the whole of these 18 verses, you find that the word, Jesus Christ, is the subject all the way through. He is the word that has revealed God. So when we come to this, the beginning was, yes, he was there in the beginning, and yet he is God. So this word that is spoken right from the very beginning of Genesis, and God said, 
and with his word, creation came. There is such a, a reality here. And if you'll notice carefully, verse 18, it says something that might be a little shocking. If you're using one of the older versions of the King James, it still would have that he is the only begotten son, which is the usual expression that John has. We know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten huios, son. But this verse, many had with manuscripts written out centuries before, had this shocking word, theos, the only begotten, monogenes, theos, monogenes, God, the one and only God. And you'll find the translations putting a note there that many manuscripts have God. But then, not too long ago, we had with the papyrus, 66 and 75 manuscripts taken from the second century. We could almost say the ink wasn't quite dry. And it has that word, theos, God, the only begotten God, a shocking expression. And you could see how they would want to almost smooth this to make it as the rest of John. But this reality is all through this passage. He is divine. He is God. And yet, as we look at all of this, we see there is this one who is the infinite God. The Father is the infinite God. The Son is the infinite God. And the Holy Spirit, all the way from the beginning, hovering over creation, is the infinite God. Amazing that he has revealed himself to us. Who is God? How can we know God? Turn with me just for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How beautiful we had the exposition of these passages of Scripture earlier. And here we have in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning with verse 6, we read, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. God has revealed himself. It says here, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And I think through the years, maybe some of you with me read this verse and said, what a wonderful thing heaven's going to be. But what he's saying here is something in verse 10, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. In his word, he's revealed these things. And then verse, as we go on with verse 10, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit 
who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So what we have is that this God, this one God in three persons, infinite God, has revealed himself here in his word. We can't know one another unless we open up and reveal who we are. How much more so that God would be unknown except he would reveal himself to us in his word. Now, the second question is also a very simple question. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he that has revealed the Father? And certainly we see he is the word that is God, that only begotten God, made flesh. And yes, I think some of you, a few of you who are maybe a little more than teenagers now, would remember how we, we uh, taught and gloried in that old catechism question. And I, I still think I have it memorized, but I probably should read it so I don't stumble anywhere. But uh, it's question 21 of the shorter catechism. Who is the redeemer of God's elect? The only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man and continues to be both God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. This is who he is. Amazing. That which would be on, beyond human comprehension that we be this one person. As a 16-year-old, I remember trying to grasp some of these things and it was just beyond my, my mind's comprehension. And it still is at 77. What we have here is something that humbles us, that causes us to believe and trust in the Lord and to see him who is invisible and to put our faith in him. The incarnation. We see the incarnation at Christmas in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see the incarnation in his life that he lived. He tabernacled among us. He lived among us. He died on the cross for our sins. The incarnation. He was born to die, as we have heard. Or as Athanasius, I think, has it put well, if you remember those of you who have just recently read some of his writing, that crib is made of the same wood as the cross. He was born with the purpose of dying for our sins. And yet we also have the incarnation that he ascended to the Father's right hand and intercedes for us as his people. He is still forever, yes, divine, but at the same time, very much human, completely human. Two distinct natures and one person forever. This is who Jesus Christ is. Who is Jesus? He is the forever savior of sinners such as we are. Hallelujah. A third question. 
also a simple question, a brief question. How do we know God? What we have here is a beautiful little word that's in the passage in the Greek language that's translated with about three or four words, and it's the word we get, the word exegesis. That is, Jesus is the exegesis of the Father. He's the explanation of who the Father is. He reveals to us who God really is. And he alone gives us that. How do we know God? We know God by looking away from ourselves. Not just all the confidence that we might have, but we look away even from our own sins. We look away and outside to him who is the Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ in all his beauty. And there's where we find God and knowing him. Now, let me tell you a Canadian Christmas story. Hmm. We have a, a Bible reading for in our bulletin this week, and we have a beautiful bulletin. We're very thankful for the two young ladies that work on that. They do a great job. Donald Carson is the one who has put that Bible reading together. Dr. Donald Carson, Canadian. He is a seminal theologian, outstanding theologian of our time, an amazing writer, author, and he tells the story of when he was uh, doing his first degree as a young man. He was studying chemistry and mathematics, and during that time there in McGill University in Montreal, Canada, he tells how he befriended a Pakistani, a Muslim by the name of Muhammad. Good name that you can remember for a, a Muslim. With that friendship, there came to be something of a talking and walking together and talking, and he found Muhammad even trying to convert him. In fact, he tells how during their walking together, he says, look, Donald, if you have one cup and you add another cup, how many cups do you have? I don't know if he knew that Donald was studying mathematics, majoring in that, but uh, he asked him that question. He says, two. And he says, if you add another cup, how many do you have? And he's doing quite well, three. And he figured out pretty quickly that when he said to him, hey, so if you have one God, and you have a second one who is Jesus, and you have a third who is the Holy Spirit, how many gods do you have? And of course, Donald was not studying at that time uh, what we would call uh, theology, but uh, with this man who was doing his PhD in Islamic studies, he said to him very simply, he said, if you have one who is the infinite God, and one who is the infinite God, and another who is the infinite God, how many infinites do you really have? There is one. I serve an infinite God. And we are blessed that we have one God who, yes, in one sense is unable for us to see the very essence and all that he is, and yet he is the infinite God we serve. 
Now, this man that was in Don's life didn't have family there, and so he invited him to stay with his family there in Ottawa for Christmas. And there is something there that's, I think, uh, really quite amazing. He uh, didn't have much time for him at all during the first part of his visit at Christmas time because he didn't uh, have time because of his father being ill, his, his mother and Don, they kept going to the hospital every day. But right at the end, he, had, he borrowed the family car, took him around the city, showed him all the sights, and they ended up there at what we might speak of as the Capitol building. And there, uh, the Capitol Senate chambers and the Parliament buildings and, and showing him all around. They finally end up at what's called the foyer. And he says the man who was giving the tour, and there were two other tour groups with them, and it was quite a large group, and they were there in this foyer, and there were these pillars. And he said, as the, as the tour guide said, there is Aristotle, and government must have knowledge. And he pointed to the top of another pillar and said, there is Socrates, a government must have wisdom. And he then finally, after he kept going around all the pillars, he comes to Moses and he says, a government must have law. And so at that point, he ended up his, his discussion there, and he said, are there any questions? And this man, who had been given a Bible by Donald, and he had been studying this Bible, and he'd been fascinated, but he was told to read the Gospel of John. And to my understanding, he had only gotten through those first 18 verses. And Muhammad speaks up when they was asking for questions, and he asked the question, Where is Jesus Christ? And let me give you the words of Don Carson. He says, The guide did what guides do under such circumstances. They simply say, I beg your pardon? So Muhammad did what foreigners do under such circumstances. They assume that they have been misunderstood because of their thick accent. So he articulated his question more clearly and more loudly. Where is Jesus Christ? Now there were three groups in the foyer of the Canadian parliament listening to a Pakistani Muslim asked where Jesus was. I was looking for a crack in the ground to fall into. I had no idea where this was coming from. Finally, the guide blurted out, why should Jesus be here? Muhammad looked shocked. Picking up a line from the Bible verses he had been reading, he said, I read in the Christian Bible that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus Christ? The guide said, I don't know anything about that. And I muttered under my breath, preach it, brother. <laughs> Do you see how it looked to Muhammad? He was a Muslim. He understood about a God who has laws who has standards, who brings terror, who sets in judgment over you, a God who is sovereign and holy and powerful. He understood all of that, but he had already been 
captured by Jesus, full of grace and truth, who displays his glory profoundly in a crib in the cross and becomes the meeting place between God and sinners because he dies the sinner's death. We know God by looking away from ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and truth. As we often say, truth without grace can be an ugly thing, and grace without the truth doesn't have any substance to it. Grace and truth we find in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the exegesis of the Father. He's the explanation of it all. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father, there is an awe that we have when we read these words, your divine, your wonderful commentary upon the incarnation of your own Son. The Holy Spirit giving the words to John. The Holy Spirit opening our minds and hearts to understand that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that that word is still the way that we come to know you. We ask now, Lord, you would give us hearts to sing and hearts to understand even this hymn that we're going to sing. Oh, come all you unfaithful with all of our needs and our hurts, all that we've experienced in life, whether it be illnesses, divorces, disappointments, accidents, things that have changed our lives, things that we can't even explain, we don't understand. And yet, Lord, we do believe that Jesus Christ, your Son, gives us understanding of who you are and what life really is all about. Touch our hearts, Lord, as we sing this hymn. May we, as those who are broken, those who are find ourselves even bitter at times, mystified by the things that have happened in our lives, O oh, Lord, touch our hearts, touch our minds, touch our families with the incarnation of your Son, the exegesis, of who you are. For we ask these things in his name.